0: Welcome! You made it to the Secret Society of Success. In this not-so-secret podcast, we interview L&D changemakers about how they approach the evolving corporate environment and cultivate their own careers. From their stories, we hope you find lessons and inspirations to make yourself, your people, and your organization successful. For our second season, we pulled you, our listeners, to find out what you wanted to hear about. You chose learner personas. so. Now we're on a mission to find out from experts the answers to your questions, like, what is a learner persona? How do you create an effective persona? And most importantly, why are personas a strategic investment for L&D teams? It's our final episode, and yes, we're changing it up again. We are closing with the discussion of how product designers use user personas. Why user personas? You might ask. Because we believe that this discussion will empower you to better have a seat at the table. Lexi Maluda from J.P. Morgan Chase joins us to share how user personas are researched, and most importantly, how they help her better manage her stakeholders. Let's jump in so you can hear what I mean. Before we jump in, if you wouldn't mind, could you give the audience a little little bit of background on you?
1: Sure, absolutely. So I have been doing user experience design for about five years now. I have a background in user experience design end-to-end. I've done a lot of workshops and trainings. I am a certified IBM design thinking coach. So I have done a a bit of uh, training and facilitation myself. Before I was a user experience designer, I was a geologist. So I've taken a little bit of an unconve- <laughs> unconventional path, as many designers have, but it's sort of backed up my love of research and uh, all things discovery.
0: That's awesome. I, I appreciate the background and uh, really uh, excited to allow you to sort of help the, the training and learning and development audience hear a little bit about personas from a design perspective and see what they could take away. So let's just start there. To you, from a design perspective, what is, what is a user persona?
1: So a persona is a generalized version of a user that helps you to understand user needs and make decisions in design in the future. So it's not a specific person. It's not a real person, but it's an amalgamation of several representative users who embody something that you're trying to solve for
0: to bring it more to life give me an example like give me one example of of that amalgamation and of and what you're trying to get out of that amalgamation of of maybe you know three or five different users and how do you turn those into that your, your your frankenstein <laughs> profile if you will
1: sure so Often when you're designing a product, you're trying to solve for a specific problem at any given moment. You're not just designing something for the sake of it, or there's there's something that you're trying to accomplish. And so you're trying to bring that problem to life with someone's real life scenario, someone's real life problem that helps you to put it into context and to give you some empathy for that user. You can have empathy for the problem, but there's something about having... Whether it's a real or kind of an amalgamated Frankenstein of a person, as you said, staring you in the face saying, hey, I have this problem, please help me. It it gives you that certain extra boost of empathy. And you may even have multiple personas for a given product to exemplify populations that have different needs.
0: Yeah, that makes that makes sense. And that empathy point, I think, is is obviously an important one, right? Like that that is that thing that can, you know, probably I would imagine from a design perspective help push you over the edge. That's the key. So how do you how do you go about creating them? What kind of research is involved?
1: So it depends on what you're trying to accomplish with the persona, but often what researchers will do. There are specific user researchers who specialize in this type of thing. I have done it myself in previous roles where we didn't have a specific researcher, but you perform interviews with users who fit a profile that you're trying to learn more about. You can conduct surveys. So you're looking for people's age and occupations. You're looking for family life You're looking for how they relate to the problem or the product that you're trying to solve for. So the specific area that you want to understand them from, you're looking for information about those specific things.
0: If I could say it back to you, you're trying to capture really, you know, as much quantitative. So like even that, and I would classify your demographic and firmographic information there, right? Because these are just data points that you're trying to capture. How old are you? sex, what's your you know, in, income, where do you live, that, that kind of stuff.
1: How many members of, of um, your family many... are there? What do you do on your time off? Because those things are important. It's It's not just how the person interacts with, let's say, if you are doing something for a bank, it's not just how they interact with their money, but it's also how they live the rest of their lives because those things do interact and they do impact each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like when you guys are thinking it from a user design perspective, you're trying, you, know, you get the quantitative information. It's important, but you try to focus on qualitative information. And what I'm hearing is that you want as much of that qualitative input, even outside of how it specifically addresses the problem you're trying to solve, because those other inputs can really, you know, going back to what you said earlier, round out this persona and help you as a designer in your case for a user experience or in a learning and development professional's case as a you know training instructional design perspective actually have the empathy required to be able to design this for that person right if you don't have the context that of how they interact socially or their goals or their motivations you might not design the right app experience in your case for how they manage their money because There's these other inputs that need to be considered, and it can make that experience that much better.
1: Exactly right. You're not just looking for data points. If you wanted that, you could just present someone with a spreadsheet. You're trying to add color. You're trying to understand who this person is and what their goals are outside of and including the thing that you're trying to solve for your specific problem.
0: Yeah almost humanizing the the data inputs even as much as as much as you can right so you exactly. can build the empathy that you you mentioned earlier that's so important so we've talked a little bit about what it is to you from a uh UX perspective we've talked about steps you guys take to create them i think there's a lot of overlap from some of the things we've heard from learning and development professionals you know especially breaking it down to quantitative and qualitative and making sure there's the right mix of both from your perspective What's the value of it? Like, how do you actually use this thing that you take the time to build? And there's this profile. You've got your Frankenstein that we talked about earlier. How do you use it as a tool?
1: So as I mentioned, I think the real value of making a persona is to understand a person and how they would interact with the thing that you're making. It could be to help me as a designer solve a problem, which is always key and makes my design decisions so much better because I'm focusing them on someone else. I may be able to make an assumption about what someone might want, or you can always base a decision on what you think someone might want. But it is so much more powerful to be able to actually back it up with data and to back it up with some sort of research that says, we know this is what someone wants. And this is a good direction, at least for us to start to head towards until we have actual user feedback in the form of interviews or user testing. So that's more from a design perspective. As a designer, I'm always backing up The decisions that I've made. I'm always having to sort of defend the decisions that I've made and explain them to my product partners, to my tech team, and to my stakeholders. So if anyone else is asking questions about how decisions got made, it is incredibly powerful for those people who don't necessarily have a design background and may not always be thinking in terms of a user's perspective. They may not be thinking of the person who is using this product. They're thinking in terms of business or in terms of how easy is this going to be to code. It makes a it makes a big difference to be able to point to something and say, "Look, I know that this is what our users want because this it has research to back it up. We did a card sorting exercise, which is another research tactic. We did a heuristic analysis. We have this persona. To be able to point to something and say, here is something to back it up. This is how we made this decision. We are representing our users by
0: making the decision in this direction. That's really interesting. So I, I heard two things there, right? Obviously, which is something we've heard and focused on in other discussions before. Obviously, the the first, I guess, first order or primary value of your persona is it helps you actually make the decisions about, in your case, the the design, the design of the user experience, or in the audience's case, the design of a course, right? Mm-hmm. You want to design the course to meet the needs of this persona, the delivery of it, you know, meet them where they are, that kind of stuff. That's a, that's a common theme that we've heard in, in almost all of our discussions. That second one's really interesting to me, though. I don't know that I've, we've heard that yet in any of our discussions. So the second one that I wrote down as a takeaway is, That it's really for you a tool to help you defend decisions and then, I guess, properly manage your stakeholders, right? Because you have, you know, in your role, you've got to interface with tech, you've got to interface with product, you've got to interface with the business audience that, you know, ultimately is accountable to whatever it is they are accountable to in the business. And you are using the persona itself to help justify the why.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that personas come in different flavors and different levels of fidelity. So if it is a research-backed persona, a persona that is backed by actual user feedback and input, then yes, absolutely. It is a tool that you can use to justify decisions and to help your stakeholders to empathize with what you're trying to accomplish. So in the case of education I think that that could be invaluable for people who aren't actually in the classroom or who aren't actually performing trainings it can be so valuable to get a little bit of empathy a little bit of a perspective of how it is actually to be that person sitting in the seat to to be in their shoes.
0: That's interesting you said something interesting there I want to unpack it a little bit further and then I I'll ask a couple more questions. So you you started with not all profiles are equal, if you will. That's
1: true, right? yeah.
0: Right, and you said there, there's different levels of fidelity or uh, you know, get power, if you will, of a persona as it relates to being a tool to more effectively manage the stakeholders you need to be aligned with your decision or with your effort or with the, the product that you're creating. Obviously, you've given us an example of the, the, re, the, the value of having a well-researched, persona is that you have, that has more power. From your perspective in your day-to-day, like what is a persona lacking that would stop you from, you know, using it as much of a tool to back uh, or manage stakeholders? uh, Like, where's that line for you? Mm.
1: I would say the level of data and sort of the assurance that I have that this is based on real people. So it may be an amalgam, but it has to be an amalgam of real people um, in order for me to use it as a justification. I'm not about to use a persona that is more of a proto-persona based on assumptions in order to justify decisions. It's a great place to start in terms of ideation or thinking about how to start the design process and the discovery Mm -hmm. process. But if you're actually backing up decisions based on a persona, it better be based on research.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful, I think. And really interesting because, you know, one of the, the challenges I think for our audience that you always hear is resource being resource constrained, right. Mm, Um, you know, delivering learning, especially if you're doing it to an internal audience within your business is often as important as it is in practical terms, (laughs) uh, and as passionate as our audience is about the topic, uh, And frankly, the impact that it makes from a business perspective, it can often be looked at a nice to have as a nice to have, not a need to have, right? Now look, there are situations when you're talking about safety and compliance where it is a need to have, but in a lot of cases, you know, they can be put in that nice to have bucket, which makes them resource constrained. But what's an interesting takeaway for me that I think you've highlighted here is understanding the use of this persona as for lack of a better term leverage that you have to get a al- lot better get alignment with your business stakeholders the audiences that you're delivering oftentimes delivering this training for right a lot of times ultimately uh, the learning and development professional out there in the corporate world has a variety of business stakeholders they're not training their employees they're training somebody else's employees um so they have stakeholders they have other people who are involved in what you're doing, why you're doing it, when you're doing it. Um, And I think highlighting the value of using that persona to defend decisions or investments or other things, and I want to continue to unpack this further, one is a super valuable takeaway. And I think idea for the learning and development professional to apply to the persona, right? It's not just about designing the best course. It's also an asset for you internally to work better within your business. The second thing I I take from that bit where you draw a really nice line is the importance of knowing which personas to use to do that and knowing not, right? Or or where it might, might, you know, bite you, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if you're, you know, you're dying on the hill of this persona and then people find out it's it's not a well-backed persona, you know, you're going to hurt your internal credibility there.
1: Don't die on that hill. That's not worth it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Never (laughs) worth it, really. Uh, In retrospect, right? But I found it really interesting going back to the resource constraint bit, right? You know, a lot of the people that we've talked about on this topic of learning personas are, have said, look, in an ideal world, you want to be as research backed and as this and that as you possibly can be. But in a practical world, sometimes you might have to build something on an assumption. Maybe it can only be one conversation. Maybe you, know, you, you can just shadow somebody and live a day in their life and make a bunch of assumptions, and that'll get you far enough. To design the curriculum. But I love the takeaway for the audience here that, hey, this could be a first, this could be a tool for you to better manage your stakeholders. But second, if you're going to use it as that tool, in addition to designing the course, you can't stop at assumption. It's worth it to put the extra work in and the extra effort in at the beginning to build this thing and build it well with research. And if you do that, then this can be a tool that you can use for a much longer period of time, not just for your design, but also to manage your stakeholders.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. And I relate to the resource constraint feeling and to uh, in, in practice as well. I mean, I think that designers are sometimes undervalued in certain conversations with their stakeholders or their partners. I think that other teams sometimes feel like we push pixels and we just make a visual design for something. Whereas I think of us really more as problem solvers. So having that research or having that artifact to back you up as part of your arsenal is really important. And personas aren't the only one, but having that empathy building artifact makes a big difference in your power in a conversation.
0: But I, I think the idea of the power of having the artifact of a persona to to manage, not just to design the best experience in a, in a classroom, but also to manage your stakeholders to help you design the best experience, right? Because mm-hmm. ultimately you're making a decision about, as you, you know, the example that you said as making a, you making a decision about how you want someone else to write code or in the learning and development personas case, them making a decision about how to spend someone else's budget to fly a bunch of people to do an in-person training because it's important for that persona is you making decision with someone else's resources. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, the, using this person, you know, the value and the power of using this persona as an artifact to help those people whose resources you're using, whether it's their time, their effort, or their, or their money. Uh, to help you accomplish the goal that you've been tasked with or that even they've tasked you with is, is a very powerful tool. And I think that's a, ultimately a really important takeaway for that learning and development persona to consider.
2: And now a message from Mimeo, your podcast sponsor. Joe Sittler kept working past 8 p.m. on Friday nights. As sales development manager at Spring Venture Group, he was responsible for training hundreds of new salespeople every month on up-to-date customized training materials. The problem was that his local printer couldn't handle all his document updates. For each batch of new hires, he had to spend hours emailing the printer about which pages needed to be replaced. Worse, he had to place his order at least a week in advance, meaning that sometimes he sent his new hires outdated information. That's when Joe found Mimeo. Now he creates workbooks nearly twice the size at half the price of his previous vendor. The best part? Joe's new hires order their workbooks directly from Mimeo for delivery to their doorsteps, taking all the hassle of shipping out of Joe's hands. His Friday nights are finally free. Read Joe's full story at bit.ly slash mimeoprint. Or call 901-566-8900 to speak to a rep today. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash M-I-M-E-O-P-R-I-N-T. And now back to your episode.
1: I think everyone wants to have a successful outcome, right? It's, it's not that you're necessarily trying to accomplish different things. It's just that people think that success might be accomplished differently based on the approach. So yeah. having a persona or some sort of research research artifact can give you the power to unite people around a common goal and help them to understand how the thing is going to be used so that you can all come to a common decision. So you may be flying people for a conference to train people as you said, but What's the best use of their time? What's the best use of the resources? How is it going to create a successful outcome? I think that having that research-based piece makes it so much more powerful for everyone and helps to unite the purpose and unify how people are going to actually solve that problem.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I I completely relate to what you're saying, right? Like ultimately, the paths to success are many. Yeah. The agreement that we all want success is all, probably already there. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing whatever it is you're doing. None of you right. would be yeah. on this endeavor, right? Right. The problem is defining the path. And if you believe, based on your expertise and experience, right. that path A is the best path, using that persona is an extremely powerful tool to enable you to have discussions with the various stakeholders that you are working with to help them understand why A is the best path, even if they came into this thinking that B was the best path, right? right? It's that tool to help move them and uh, whatever stakeholders you need to work with on that same path for success that you believe is the best path. Because ultimately, you're the you're the expert here, and and you're the one you know who's who's ultimately driving this decision. You know, in your case about design, in their case about you know, delivering a uh, you know, really effective learning to a particular set of, of learners. You know, Lexi, let me let me ask you one question. I think this has been a really good discussion, and I, I want to stay focused on this. We've talked about this in theory. I I think some people learn better in practice, <laughs> if you will, um, or through stories. Do you have a story or an example that that you would be able to share of practical terms how you used? a persona to help drive to a decision or drive past maybe a conflict? Sure. This
1: happened kind of a long time ago uh, at my old company, but we had been tasked with redesigning a software that had been the same for the past 20 years for insurance claim adjustment for health insurance. So the company had said they wanted a visual Uplift, a facelift for this product. But my design partner and I got in there and looked at how the interface actually looked and how people inter how people interacted with the software. My partner actually went to the their site in Tennessee and watched people interact with their computers, with uh, people on the phone, and we learned that it was not just a visual need. So by speaking with, I believe it was about six claims professionals who were junior, senior, and people who trained other claims processors, we were able to understand what people knew at different stages of their career and learned a lot more about the claims process itself and the training for the claims process. This is actually hilariously relevant because it had (laughs) a lot to do with training. So they had a, I believe it was a six-month training course, a lot of which was documented in a single document, like a Word document. There were, I believe it was six months in training, six months that the Junior processor was supposed to be shadowed or was supposed to shadow someone who is a senior processor. And then they had an incredibly high drop off rate at about 13 months. So, when <laughs> once they had trained someone, they had put in all of this effort to help this person understand how to use this software, they would drop off and quit and it pursue something me. else. <laughs> Exactly. So a lot of time and effort put into this training process that went pretty much absolutely nowhere. Uh, You got about six months of shadowing work uh, from this person before they decided to pursue a different path. And I couldn't blame them. It was an incredibly hard program to use. And they did absolutely everything they could to make it workable within that space. There was a lot of communal knowledge that was passed down by senior processors to junior processors. People were making the best of their situations as they could, but it was still just not enough to combat this beast of... um, (laughs) <laughs> of a pro- of a program that they were trying to wrestle with. So when we presented our final design, we definitely focused a lot on the virtual, the digital design that we had physically made. But the most impactful thing, I think were the quotes from the processors that we echoed back to their senior leadership. The senior leadership knew that there was uh, some difficulty. They knew about the retention issues and the attrition rate. They, they understood that there were problems with this program, but I don't think that they understood the depth and the profundity of this problem um, within their software and that it wasn't just something that could be solved by a facelift. It wasn't just something that could be plastered over. There were backend problems and there were training problems that desperately needed to be addressed. So by explaining to them what, Junior processors knew and experienced and what senior processors knew and experienced and their training professionals knew and experienced it made all the difference in the world to be able to show them how important this work was and the necessity of a redesign and not just a refacing
0: that's a that's such a good story I love that I think that it's a very compelling take I love the story and I think the story really sheds light on on a very specific example of a scenario where, you were tasked to do a thing. You know, fix this problem is essentially the task that you were given, right? Which relating that to our, one of our, you know, audience members, a learning and development persona, I need you to teach these people this thing. Go teach the salespeople how to how to deliver an agenda in a meeting. And what you guys did through research and through a, a properly built persona and understanding of these claims adjusters at different levels and the, and those training them is that you actually said, no, we don't need to fix this problem. We need to fix this process, right? We need to actually make broader recommendations and to achieve the outcome you're real, the business outcome you're really looking for, which is a better claims adjustment process and lower attrition and a better experience for our adjusters. A face look, they ain't going to do it. This problem is deeper than you thought. And I think that that's a really compelling example, because I think for the learning and development persona, they're oftentimes, it's a band-aid solution. When the problem requires surgery is, you know, the analogy that I would give. And I think that hopefully our learning and development professionals that are listening today can really learn a lot, take a lot from that story. I think it's a great example. And, and I really appreciate you sharing it because it's a perfect example of the value of using a persona to properly address the best way to achieve the business outcome that your stakeholders are looking for. And and it also sheds light on on the reality that many times the business stakeholders who are asking for your support just don't know the path. They might say, "I know the solution," and you run into this all the time. But the reality is is they don't. They they know the outcome they want, but they don't always know the best path to a solution. So I think sharing your story. The takeaways I have is your user persona. It's a very powerful tool to be able to help your stakeholders understand that, yep, I get it. You want to get to that outcome. I get it. You believe that this is the path. Unfortunately, you're wrong. And here's why you're wrong. And here's the best path. Um, and that's not my information. That's based on these people you're trying to solve this problem for.
2: Exactly. Um, and and, yes. and
0: using the empathy and the relatability, you know, I love the example of quotes and the power of those quotes, using that as a tool to help guide that decision, not just Okay, now let's implement. Here's how we tweak the design to make it better, right? Right. It it is a powerful tool beyond that. Um, And
1: to really understand, I think you made a great point. And this is something that I say all the time make sure that you're solving the right problem because you can attack a problem all day long. But if it's really more of the facelift and not the heart surgery that you actually need, then you're going to keep having problems and they're going to keep popping up and you're not actually solving the root cause.
0: Yeah. Which, you know, when it goes back to this incredibly insightful thought of using the persona to not just fix the problem, but also to manage your stakeholders, going back to the importance of working within your business and managing your stakeholders. If you're not solving the right problem, you're hurting your credibility. Yes. Right. Yes, and then absolutely. the ability to continue to solve that problem just becomes that much harder. Um, and, you know, in the same light, in that situation, it can become that much more powerful to point to something else as the reason why you need to go this way and have that third party persona that they can empathize with where it's, Hey, this isn't my choice. It's the, it's, it's Bobby persona's choice. Right. Right. <laughs> that's what would be best for Bobby. And that's what you want. So that's the best way to drive forward in that decision.
1: Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I I was a scientist. I'm not about to move forward without data that backs <laughs> this up. I'm not about to move forward with uh, a hypothesis and call it a thesis. That's yep. you know we we don't know that yet. Yep. So you have to you have to make sure you know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, Lexi, that this has been a really great discussion. I, I really appreciate your time. I think you've shed a really important insight for our learning and development professionals that are listening today uh around the importance of using the persona not only as a tool to influence how you deliver, you know, in their case learning, but also as a really powerful tool to better manage your stakeholders um, and ensure that everybody's aligned on the best path to success. Everybody wants the successful outcome. the the decisions are always made on what's the path, right And, and this is a t- using the persona as a tool, to help align everybody down, you know, walking down that same road to get to that out- outcome, I think is an incredibly powerful takeaway. Um, so hopefully the audience does too. Um, and we really appreciate your time here today and uh, and sharing your experience. Um, if the audience is looking for more uh, from you or, or, you know, looking to connect in any way, how can they find you, you know, socially, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, the like, any, any, any areas where they can learn more about Lexi and your experience with design?
1: Sure. Yeah. I'm on LinkedIn. It's Alexandra Maluda on LinkedIn. And uh, if you'd like to see more of my UX work um, and understand more about my design process, you can find me at
0: alexandramaluda.com. Awesome. Well, Lexi, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, I know the audience will, uh, and have a wonderful rest of your day. The Secret Society of Success is hosted by Mimeo, the better way to print. Check out our sister podcast, Talk of the Trade, for tips and tricks for sales and marketing leaders. Visit www.mimeo.com for more information.